You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. Amen. Good morning, church. We're glad you're here. If you'll uh, turn to First Peter chapter 2. Um, as we continue this journey where Peter has kind of initiated this thought in our minds, in the minds of the believers, those who have trusted in Christ, those who have surrendered their life to Christ. He's initiated this thought that believers and followers of Jesus Christ, that we will experience this deep desire and this deep need for His Word. That the believers need His Word. And that it's not something secondary, something that we can just get to when we have time, but there is a deep longing in our hearts to want to know more of His Word because we believe that this reflects His great salvation to His people that He offered up to His people is in the Word of God. And we see that in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know that the prophets before us, that they prophesied about that and that the apostles before us longed to teach us about that. And that even the angels examined it from heaven. And so this great salvation, this great salvation that has come to us in the form of Jesus Christ has been revealed to us in His Word. And we must long for His Word. We must long for it. And so we really start to process all that has been done for us for the glory of God. We start to understand that Christ rescued us out of this darkness and that He, that he pulled us into this marvelous light. That He gave us a new life, a living hope founded in Christ, in Christ alone. And not only that, He calls us a holy priesthood that we're set apart for His glory. And that even in our pain, in our suffering, in our trials, that this life is not pointless. That there's meaning. As a matter of fact, that the suffering that we experience, guess what? Christ Himself has experienced and far greater than we will ever experience. And so He's not just a person or a man that just faced or talked about or taught about pain and suffering. He experienced it. He experienced to the fullest. To the fact that it led Him to death on a cross and separation from His Father for a moment. That is pain and suffering. And so, what is birthed in us because of this is this deep-rooted joy that the world can never steal from us. When we have a faith in Christ, when our foundation is built on Christ and His sufferings on the cross, there is a joy that this world cannot steal from you as a believer. It cannot. That we have a joy that is deep-rooted. There are times where we're going to have pain and suffering. There are times and moments when we feel like maybe God has abandoned us. Sure. Guess what? He hasn't. And that eternal joy, that eternal salvation in us is deeply rooted and can never be taken away from us. And so this is why, this is why we worship God. This is what causes us to fall on our face and worship God in the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of joy and happiness. It's because we know that the root of all is Christ. He is the centerpiece of our life. He is our all. And we even sang about this morning, we said He is our everything. He is our everything. 
So we must put our joy in that. We must put our hope in that. And so with the, if you'll look at verse 1 of Second uh, Peter, verse 1, we'll pick up here. It says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander, what he's saying here is put away all this. Purge your life of sin. And it says, like newborn babies long for pure for the pure milk of the Word, that we must have a need for His Word. We must confess that we need His Word more than we need the air that we breathe. We need His Word for life. Just like a newborn baby longs for that milk. So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. That the salvation that Christ came, it says it will grow you. So when you seek Christ's Word, the Word will grow you as a believer. And then he goes on in verse 4 and he says, coming to Him as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, living stones, being built up as a spiritual house, the holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Our privilege is that we live in an unbreakable union with Christ and that we have full and complete access to the Father. This is a huge spiritual privilege as believers, as children of God, as the adopted family of God, is that we have an unbreakable union with the Father. And that we have complete access to His throne of grace. And so as we look on, as we move on, in verse 6, Peter really kind of hammers it home here. And so we're going to focus in on verse 6 through 10. And listen to what he says, starting in verse 6. It says, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, that this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For the stumbling, because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed." But you are a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God, and you have received mercy. I mean, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so our security is founded in Christ. Look at verse 6, it says, For this is contained... In Scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. In the first part of this, it says this. It says, for this is contained in Scripture. What this is, this is a testimony. This is Peter's testimony saying, look, I'm not just making this up. I'm going I'm to tell you what Scripture has written, what the prophets before me have written. And it says, I've testimony, I testify to this. And this comes out of Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. It says, behold, I lay in Zion. And Zion is referring to this new covenant just like uh, Zion did to the old covenant and that this choice stone that Christ was the chosen one and the only one to which, which uh, could be laid as a stone for the church to be built upon. Like Christ is the only foundation. He's the only cornerstone. The corner piece to which all the other stones could be built upon. And he says this. It says not only is he the choice stone, but look what else it says but He is also a precious cornerstone. Precious translate here, it means unequaled value. 
costly and irreplaceable. It is irreplaceable. No one else could have done this. That Christ Himself, that He came, that He lived and He died, that He became the foundation to the Christian church and everything else was built upon Him. No one else could have done this. He is irreplaceable. He is unequal in value. No one else could stand as the cornerstone to our faith. Only Christ. Christ Himself. And He goes on to say this. He says, For he who believes in Him will not be disappointed. The word here rendered disappointed, it means, it, it denotes that we're deceived in some confidence or it's a place placing hope in something that has no hope. And so this word disappointed here, it says that, that you will not be disappointed in your salvation. That there is no disappointment in the stone, in the corner piece of our faith. That Christ is the cornerstone. And you will not be disappointed. Your hope is not false. That is true and that is real. And the only thing that can lead to your destruction or your loss in hope is to reject this cornerstone. It's to say that Christ is not the cornerstone. He is not the way, the truth, and the life. And that there is some other way. But but those who truly put their faith in Christ, they will not be disappointed on that day of salvation. Look at verse 7. It says, as, as Peter clarifies this point in verse 6, it says, the precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For the stumbling, because they, did, they were disobedient to the Word and to, the, and to this doom, they were also appointed. And so it says this precious value, which is Christ, then is for you who believe, those who have trusted, those who have trusted their life completely in Christ, who have laid it down and loved Christ and not this world and is obedient to His Word and not to themselves. It says this, but for those who disbelieve, such as the Jews of that day, this is what Peter quotes to them. Psalms 118.22, he says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And so the stone to which the Jews rejected, the Messiah, became the very cornerstone to which the kingdom of God would be built on. And this stone here, this stumbling stone, it was a stone that was large enough for someone to trip on as they were traveling down the road. And so the, the analogy here is, all, is, that, is that, the, that as the Jews kind of threw this stone out, Christ, that they rejected Him, what happened is they ended up stumbling over him and they ended up falling into the rock bed which would ultimately crush them and would kill them. Is their unbelief in who Christ was, their unbelief in who the Messiah truly was. And so on Judgment Day, that stone which they rejected will be the stone that will eventually crush them. So this is what Peter's writing. He says we must have an affection for Christ. We must have a longing for who Christ is and what He has done in our life. And what he's done for the people of God. It says, for the stumbling, because they were disobedient to the word. So it says at the end of verse 8, it says, for they stumbled because they were disobedient to the word. And the result of that was, look, and to this doom, they was also appointed. Doom referring to the day of judgment. The judgment for all those who are unbelievers, those who 
rejected Christ. That there is a day that will come when they will bow their knees and they will honor Him as King, but they will also be destroyed. And in their destruction, guess what? God will still be glorified. That cornerstone will be lifted up high. And so our prayer is that you have an affection for who Christ is and what He's done for you. That you truly obey His Word. That you don't disobey His Word, but you obey His Word. You hold His Word close to your heart. Because it's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that gives life. It's the only thing that we have that we can hold on to for truth in this world. So then he goes on in this and he says in verse 9, and there's a lot here in verse 9. We're going to unpack verse 9. There's a lot here. And he says, but you, after he's talked about those who were disobedient to God's Word, he says, but to you, to those who have been obedient, he says this, but you are a chosen race. So unlike the unbelievers who have rejected Christ, he says you are a chosen race. Peter identifies those who believe in Him as chosen. Just as God has chosen Israel for a special purpose within His redemptive plan, He chose us. And this is crucial. This is crucial for Christians to understand that their salvation is not based on anything that we've done, anything we've merited but it's based on Christ alone. It's based on Him. On Him being obedient to the Father's will. Obedient to the point of death. To resurrection. And so we must understand that. This is crucial. And that is why that is by nothing, nothing you have achieved or ever thought you could achieve that you've come to know who Christ is. It's by Him choosing you, calling you by name, calling you to the family of God and that you've responded in faith. And because you've responded in faith, now you have dominion with Christ forever. This is good news. You are a chosen race. And he goes on here in verse 9 and continues. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That's what it means that we have dominion. A royal priesthood. It comes from Exodus 19.6 where God, through Moses, told Israel, He says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That you have dominion with me forever. There are two primary elements here that we know of that constitute the image of this, this royal priesthood. And the first one is this, that priests, they serve the king by having access to his holy presence. And I'm pretty sure the veil is torn. I'm pretty sure we have full access to the Father. We have full access to the king to serve him, to love him. And so this is the first criteria is that, that we, we can come into his presence unashamed that we can come into his presence and we can offer up our spiritual sacrifices to him our prayers our thanksgiving our worship to him and so then the second part of this is is that they rule with the king in his kingdom that we will rule with him that we're a holy priesthood a royal priesthood that is going to stand up and rule with our king forever that's good news and he says this in Revelations 20, verse 6, it says, Blessed the holy, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be the priest of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. We will reign with Christ. We will rule with Christ. And because we have complete access, complete access to the presence of the King, we will rule with Him forever. But we must have separation to Him alone. And that's where he goes into this next part. 
He says this in verse 9. He continues. He says, You are a chosen race that I've chosen that called you out of darkness. You are now, you have dominion with me because you are a royal priesthood. And not only are you a royal priesthood and that you reign with me and you are going to rule with me, you are a holy nation. You have been set apart for me. And so we must be set apart for Christ alone. Not for what feels good to Jason. Not to pick and choose how Scripture can play out in my life. How I can look good in front of others. But that I have to truly set my part a lot, my life apart for the glory of God. However that looks. That I no longer have dominion over myself, but I have dominion in Christ because He reigns in my life. His Spirit has come into me and I'm empowered by Him alone. And so believers, you are a holy nation. And the word nation here, is a, it means a people group. <laughs> you are the people of God. You've been set apart. Holy means to be set apart. This was used in the Old Testament time and time again. This word holy. That we are a holy nation. That we are a royal priesthood. And so in Israel's unbelief, they forfeited this privilege of being God's unique people. But in that tragedy, it was a blessing to the Gentiles. And it says this, so, continuing there, it says that, well, the question is, is, so why has God set us, us apart? God has set us apart, believers primarily to what? To have relationship with Him. To have a relationship with Him and to serve Him. But guess what? Our service doesn't is not this deed uh, or this dutiful deed, our service is an outpouring or an outflowing of our relationship to Christ. It's because we love Christ. Because we have this deep affection for Him and for His Word that we, out of that flows our deeds, our, 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 our pursuit for others, our fervent, we've read in, in Peter, our fervent love for others. That is not this duty. It's not... It's a, it's, it's a compelling act of love because Christ loved me first. And because He loved me first, I know how to love others. So then listen to this. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. I love this. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God. We reconcile, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He committed, I'm sorry, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ and through God are making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, He made Himself who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. We are people set apart. We are people that are set apart to reflect the glory of God, to bring reconciliation to the world, to, to unite together as believers, to love one another so that that love will be a reflection of direct reflection of what Christ did for us on the cross. And that reconciliation can happen. And when that happens, when people give their lives over to Christ, when they trust in Him, when they hear Him call and they trust into Him, guess what? This is what happens. At the end there, verse 21 says, He who made Himself and knew no sin 
became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God. We are a holy nation, a people set apart. So I pray that our greatest honor, the greatest thing that we can do, the greatest honor that we have is to understand that we are set apart for His purpose. His purpose alone. That everything else is secondary. That we want to accomplish we want to be a people, a nation, set apart for the glory of God. And so then continuing this in verse 9, this thought, he goes on, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. There was a price. There was a price that was paid so that we could be reconciled to God and that we could become His people for His possession. And the word here, possession, it literally means to purchase or to acquire for a price God purchased. There was a price paid on your behalf. Ephesians 1.13 says this, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, having, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a privilege of our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. You were bought with a price and you will not be returned. You will not be returned because God is faithful to His promises. He is faithful. He will keep you. He will love you. He will guide you. He will restore you. But you must be faithful to His Word. You must long for His Word. When you long for His Word, guess what? Christ will illuminate in your life, in your life, the will of the Father. And you will be obedient, obedient to the Gospel. So He sacrificed His only Son. He sacrificed His only Son so that Christ could illuminate these truths in your life. Look at verse 9 as we continue. He continues to build upon this. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. There are two kinds of darknesses that we face as an unbelieving world. It's intellectual and it's moral darkness. Intellectual is the inability to see and to know truth. And the moral is the inability to see and do what is right. And so in these two, I think the world, 90% of the world falls under the second one here. That, that we, don't, we fail to act upon it. Okay? Because we are a pretty educated society and we know right from wrong, but the, the, act, the act of acting upon it is where we tend to fall. It's in where we, we fall off. And it's because this dark world that we were born into, that there's a darkness in us, there's a side in us that, that loves the darkness. There's a side that loves it. I mean, listen to what he says here in John. John 3.19, he says, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that the deeds will be exposed. Here's the beauty of our deeds being exposed. Here's the beauty of this. Listen to Colossians 1. It says, For He rescued from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin." And so there's beauty in that. Even though that by nature we love the darkness, 
because we want it to be all about who we are. We want the pat on the back. We want the world to see us by nature. But guess what? When God exposes the deeds, the evil deeds of your heart, and He exposes that, He what? Because God says He rescues us from that dominion. He pulls us out and He brings us into His kingdom. His kingdom light. It says actually it says He transfers us. Transfers us into this kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So when we trust in Christ, He will illuminate our minds and we will be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. Worthy of the Gospel. And then in verse 9, as He concludes, Peter says this, he says, he says that we live to proclaim Christ. By, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, who have called you out of the darkness into His marvelous light, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. To proclaim, as the Greek word here appears, it only appears here in the New Testament. Only. It says this, it means to publish or to advertise. Meaning that you are a people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen race that has been set apart to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. To proclaim this great salvation. To proclaim the salvation that has rescued you and that you want the world to know that it can rescue them too. That they're not too far gone. That His love searches deep, deep into the darkness and it will pull you out. and He will transfer you into this marvelous light. And so we must proclaim, we must live a life that advertises Christ in us. Christ in us. Colossians is talking about Christ hidden in me. I want the world to see Christ in me and not myself. And then in verse 10, it says, for you were once, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As unbelievers, the Gentiles knew no compassion for Christ, from Christ. They were once not a people. What it says here, they once were not a people, but now they have become the people of God because of what? Because they received his mercy. They received His mercy. Mercy is God's compassion on sinners' condition. And from this mercy flows His grace. When He looks at us and He sees our condition, He had compassion that, that we needed rescuing. And that we needed a Savior. And in that, He was gracious enough to give us a free gift of His Son. A gift that we'll celebrate today gift that we'll lift up and that we'll remember the sacrifice that He gave. It's His mercy, His great compassion, His great mercy on us. It's so good. It's so good. It starts there. I pray if you don't understand mercy, I pray that you really think about that. Search the Scriptures and realize where we were. I don't think a lot of times when we, when we, when we deliver the Gospel message that we talk about our condition prior. I think that's a failure on the church's part. That we were wretched. That we were not good people. That we were at war with God. 
yet we had mercy, that He had mercy on our souls. He had mercy on our condition. And He loved us. When we understand that, I think we get the complete picture of salvation. I think we really understand how great the salvation is. When you understand your prior condition, when you understand where you were before Christ rescued you out of darkness. And if you understand that, I believe in my heart, and I think the Word teaches that we'll be compelled to share that Gospel, that good news with a lost world, a lost and dying world. So I pray that you really focus on and understand and search Scriptures what mercy really looks like so that we can truly understand what grace looks like. Because it was grace, it's by His mercy we were saved by faith through grace. So in conclusion, we look at the table behind us and as Joe and them come back up, I want to read this Scripture again. I want to read it, this passage again. I'm just going to read it over you guys as we sit, as we reflect on what Christ has done for us, on what He has done to give us the privilege to be called a chosen race. He's given us the privilege to be a people for His possession, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That all these things that He has given to us through the ultimate sacrifice for the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior. I want to reflect on that. Reflect on what He's done in your life. And I want you to pray that God will forgive you of any wrongdoing. That you will come to this table with a pure heart, a clean heart. And that you will truly honor the sacrifice that He gave on your behalf so that what? So that we could be the glory of God. That we could be the righteousness of God. That we could be a people set apart for His possessions. So I pray that if you are, if you are not a believer, if you don't understand this, come see me. I'd love to talk with you, one of the elders. But if you don't understand this, I, I, we just ask that you don't participate. You don't uh, participate in the Lord's Supper because this is a union. It's what unites us believers. It's a sacrifice. It's an ordinance that we are taught to upheld because it it shows our unity as believers in Christ. That we are that we are a part of the family of God. And that we are represented through His death and burial and resurrection alone. And so the sacrifice that He gave. If you're not a believer. It's okay, come talk to me. I'd love to see you. I'd love to chat with you. Uh, but if you are a believer, pray in your heart that God will use you every day to be truly a people for His possessions as you reflect on what He did for you to give you that privilege to be His people. So let me, let me read this Scripture over you and I'll pray. And then ask that you just pray in your hearts and then as a family individuals come and partake in the Lord's Supper. This is what Peter says. He says, For this is contained in Scripture. This is my testimony. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in Him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected has become the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they were disobedient to the Word and to this doom they were also appointed. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people 
of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Let me pray. Father.